As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible, hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots. Welcome to, so tell me why you mad. Anything is possible! Boston Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from the athletic jay king ladies and gentlemen and you had some extra drama in the intro. i added a little bit dramatic pause i was channeling my inner jim rome there um you know just to give it a little <laughs> bit more spice because you know what the what last thing the celtics did there was no drama involved in their what was it a 50 point win against the sacramento kings who 53 i believe yeah absolutely just which is wild crazy. like they they have a, a roster full of People who I, I believed to be NBA players. I know Fox wasn't playing, but sheesh, they just didn't uh, really didn't come to play. And I think it's a good sign for the Celtics that they're beating teams they're absolutely better than. I don't know if we uh, they did have done that consistently uh, this season, but I also don't know what I can take away from a 50-point uh, win against the Kings just because uh, it's just one of those nights where it's like, oh, Six minutes into the game, you could tell it was not going to be a game. I mean, it was 33-7 to at one point. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) At at that stage, it was pretty clear it was over. So, we will uh, not talk about the specifics of the Kings game because, obviously, um, things are going well for the Celtics now that Marcus Smart's back. They have their full starting lineup. Jason Tatum scoring 50. They're beating teams by 50. But the kid, Jay King himself... Uh, wrote an interesting article today on The Athletic, which you should go and read right now. Or, you know, if you're lazy, you can listen to Jay and I discuss it here. But I would suggest both. Uh, but it has been the next game against the Hawks will be Ime Yudoka's 50th game as a head coach. So Jay, being the journalist that he is, started asking the right questions. How's he been doing? And Jay uh, asked a lot of people how Ime's doing. He did not ask me. But Jay, you wrote that article. I guess what were your biggest takeaways from kind of what the players thought about uh, how Ime's been doing? They are. They seem to be Ime fans. Um, they, because I wondered, and I think a lot. Like I've I've gotten texts from people who work in the league on other teams. Like Ime Dogan said, "What? <laughs> he, he he did that again." <laughs> Like, like guys just really surprised by his honesty and some of the things he says to the media. So I wondered um, how guys have adapted to that tough love, especially after Brad Stevens, who didn't operate in the same way. Um, so, yeah, I asked around and guys seem to really support Udoka. And it seems like... They like he's obviously hard on them and he obviously is demanding of them. But the side that he 
of him saying all the all the honest things he says is not his only side. And so guys appreciate that. Um, they also seem to appreciate that he's very consistent with what he says. Like he doesn't blow anything out of proportion. It's just like he tells the truth. It is what it is. And he wants the Celtics to react. Um, and obviously there, there, there was a lot more to that story than just that. Um, a lot of basketball stuff. The defense has been great. The offense, not so much. Um, and I do think obviously there's been a learning curve for him at the end of games. But to me, the most intriguing part was how players have reacted to the criticisms and which have really been steady. Like, <laughs> like whenever the Celtics screw up just a little bit, you can count on Ime to, to be pretty upfront about it. Um, so that was the most interesting part to me, at, at least when, when I was digging around a little bit and I thought Grant Williams, um, I talked to him for a little while and he, he, he was adamant. Like we really trust him. We have learned that he really cares for us. Um, and, and he's like, those are the two things that matter as, as a coach, which is probably true. Like, like when Brad Stevens hired him, he said, you know, X's and O's are one thing, but every single person we interviewed knows the X's and O's. And so it, it's about, can you connect with guys? Can you get guys to buy in? Um, and obviously that's been a, a real challenge, I think, especially on the offensive end to get some of the guys with bad habits to break those and play more efficient basketball, uh, more selfless basketball. But I think guys are trying on that end. And then defensively from day one, um, it's clear like Ime's pushed a lot of the right buttons. Yeah, I mean, I make fun of him for being a uh, hardo Ime, but I still think he falls under the Brad Stevens uh, kind of Kaizen mental alpha. Like, I don't think he's surprising anyone, uh, any of his players with his criticism, because it seems like, especially from your article, that the criticisms are constant and it's not something that the players haven't already heard. And so I think a lot of people, uh, it, he definitely takes a different approach than especially a wildly different approach than Brad does in terms of engaging with the media and kind of being honest. But it feels like if he's willing, he's like going to say these things behind uh, closed doors. And so he's willing to say it in public. And it feels like the players really respect that. Like it didn't feel like the quotes you got were kind of the generic athlete speak of like, Oh, you're, you're asking me about my coach. I'm just going to like say polite things about him because I don't want to cause any waves. It seemed like, uh, from Grant to Jalen Brown to Robert Williams, all I was like genuinely were like, I really respect this man. And like, I know that he's there for me, which is not necessarily like a, a kind of like connection you expect, uh, I think players to have with their coach. And that, that was the thing that kind of stood out to me the most. And you, you mentioned a little bit. It was just like, there feels like a genuine, like, uh, we care about each other. And I know that Ime cares for me and like, we appreciate his tough love because like, we know that's, what's going to make us better. Um, but it definitely felt like a level beyond just like generic platitudes about, yeah, you know, coach is a good guy. Uh, he, he, he's hard on us, but like, it felt like a level beyond that, that, uh, I think a lot of athletes don't really go to, um, when they're like asked questions that could potentially be like scandalous in the media. Yeah, and I, I think that's like, to me, the the coaches that I had, and this is just personal experience, it has nothing to do with the Celtics, um, but the best coaches I had were the ones who could push me the most because I knew that no matter what they said to me about basketball, it was in my in what they thought was my best interest. You know, like like I knew they always were about the right things. And if you know a coach is about the right things, then you'll listen. And it won't matter to you that they sometimes say harsh things, you know, it won't matter to you that sometimes they'll get in your face and be pretty mean about things or whatever, because you know, like at the end of the day, this dude really cares about me. He cares about the team more than anything. And, and I get the sense that, that players do respect him like that and, and think he's about that stuff. And when you think about his 
coaching upbringing. You know, he was in San Antonio and Greg Popovich, like what makes Popovich great on top of all the basketball stuff is that he minimizes the basketball stuff. You know, it's like, we're going to play as hard as we can. We're going to work as hard as we can to be the best team we can possibly be. But also family matters. You know, what's going around in the world matters. Like how you're feeling as a person and what you're dealing with personally matters. And so that's how that's how Ime Odoka grew up as a coach. Um, and, you know, that's that's the type of coaches he was around. So I, I do think that that probably helped shape him a little bit. Um, but it's also just the person he is, is like he's a no nonsense guy, <laughs> like really no nonsense. Um, and and so it, it's 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 interesting. And I, I think, you know, basketball wise, obviously, there's been a learning curve for him as a coach. Uh, and I think that's to be expected. Like he's a first-time head coach. Hardly any first-time head coach comes in and has a great grasp of everything. Um, I think like Steve Kerr stands out as one of the exceptions who just came in and transformed the Warriors overnight. But he also had a team that was ready to <laughs> the Splash Brothers and Draymond Green. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it wasn't like he came in and had to teach guys to be unselfish or teach guys like how to use their skills to help others because Draymond Green and Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson, like they'd already been through a lot and they'd already figured that stuff out by the time he got there. He just had to unleash them in a different direction. Um, but yeah, I mean, most coaches go through a lot of stuff and this, the like the Celtics one for Brad Stevens, who was a very good coach, no matter what you thought about the job he did last season, like he had eight years. Historically, think, he's been uh, he, he was quite good. <laughs> yeah, and and not only, but he was he was really good at like end of game decisions. He was really good at lineup decisions most of the time. Um, he was really good at like a long list of things, with the exception of maybe like offensive approach. Um, everything he kind of ticked off a lot of boxes, and so going to a new coach, there was obviously going to be a learning curve, and I think. You know, it, it's easy to be hard on Udoka because the Celtics are one game over 500 and probably have the, definitely have the talent to be better than that. Um, but I think, like, you can already see the growth in the team and, and in him. Uh, so it's a start. <laughs> I think that's how I ended the article. Um, but, like, it's a start. We'll see how he ends up evolving and whether he ends up becoming – you know, a top coach in the league. But I think from a standpoint of first half a season, connecting with players, uh, obviously the defensive identity is there. Like there, there's a lot that he's done right on top of some of the end of game stuff, some of the offensive stuff. Um, that's kind of been like a learning curve for him, I think. Yeah. And now, and he, now you make he inherited me the team with bad habits. Like, <laughs> so you know, <laughs> You're on your team that As didn't know said, how to close out. It was out. your turn, my turn basketball. Like the Celtics, they've played your turn, my turn basketball. Probably even dating back to when they were really good with Gordon Hayward there, right? Like that was part of why Gordon Hayward left because he's he was like, you know what? It wasn't my turn. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to sit here and watch Tatum and Brown and Kemba just do one on one things all the time, and so kind of forcing them to play a different way and I think I think even that has gone reasonably like Tatum the last couple of weeks we can talk about this next he's played some of his best basketball like he he wasn't hitting shots for a while but as far as making reads and getting to the cup like man he's been really good oh he's been absolutely fantastic in just terms of making the right play the cra crazy cross court pass so he's like doubled basically two guys on him very far away from the basket and he found, I think it was Richardson in the corner. Um, he's been doing a very good job of uh, just making the right play. And it feels like the Celtics offense has been a little bit better, uh, at least in late game scenarios. They were had a impressive trend going, except against and going in the right direction, except for that game against Portland. I think uh, those were seven minutes and 19 seconds of 
tough. Yeah, but it was tough. funny because Jared Weiss like wrote an article. I think it was published that morning that was like all about the trends in the Celtics all like fourth quarter offense and how about it was all getting better and then they dropped that. But they have generally, if we were going to say that Portland game's an outlier, and I guess that speaks to the adjustment period and kind of uh, what Ime has done as a coach. Um, you've talked about uh, late game struggles and just like, generally improving the offense. And I guess I'm curious from your perspective is like, do you think he's done a good job adjusting? And what do you think his like biggest adjustments have been in terms of like trying to get this team to in a better shape to, to try to, you know, break those bad habits that Brad Stevens left him with? I don't have the numbers on this. Um, Go based on eye test and feel alone, man. Yeah, eye test, it feels like they're putting Jason Tatum in pick and roll situations a lot more. And I think that's really beneficial. I think the more you can put him in the pick and roll, the better. Because when he's running pick and roll, that's when he's at his best getting to the hoop. And I think he's evolved a lot as a decision maker. And he's making a lot of the right plays. Even if you watch the end of that Portland game, like he made a lot of the right reads. And they ended up going to a lot of the guys that were wide open. And they just missed. And that's going to happen sometimes. Um, But I think the, the more they can put him in pick and rolls, the better it is for their offense. And then I think getting healthy matters too. Um, their starting lineup like has been really, really good all season long. And it, it hasn't played together often. But but when those guys play together, like they've been really dominant. They've been the best five-man unit among units with, you know, high minute. I forget what the minute allotment is that or the like the the limit there. But they've been the best among lineup. I think it was like 150 minutes or more. Um, and then, you know, having Marcus Smart out there, I, I do feel like he organizes the offense better and guys are in, in better places. And then there's been an emphasis lately from Udoka, like to start actually running in transition. <laughs> like they should not be an awful transition team. They have been an awful transition team. And I think the Kings game, obviously it was a, an outlier game because the Kings were just pathetic. I I'm not sure I've ever seen a team that bad in an NBA game, but they were kicking the ball ahead and really making the Kings pay in transition. You haven't seen that a lot from these Celtics. Like their transition numbers are awful. Um, So if, if they can even become average in transition, like that's a big step for them. Yeah. And it's, it's weird because they're in this kind of like, um, Holding pattern where you don't know the trade deadline is coming up. I know like I'm looking forward to a Dennis trade. I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, I think B-Rob wrote today about kind of like why financially it might make more sense for the Celtics to hold on to Dennis at least until the offseason. Because um, I think something to do with that old salary cap thing people are uh, always talking about. Um, John Hollinger wrote on The Athletic that he like thinks the most likely deal is the Celtics just like dealing Bruno Fernando to get under the luxury tax, which if they made the deal to get rid of Wancho. Huge deal. It's going to be huge, but like that feels like if they made the deal for Wancho to just to get under like towards that line, like Bruno Fernando is probably, you know, we're going to, we're going to miss our short time with him. Um, I still think he might've done a better job than Ennis, but at this rate, we'll never know. But I feel like I've seen things all over the place where some like, the angrier fans are like, we got to sell, got to sell, tank everything away. I think I saw a lot of that after the Portland game. I've seen other people say, it was like, you can't give that message to the young guys and just like sell off all the, or to Jalen and Jason and um, sell off all these pieces when they're like, they still feel like they're playing good basketball. So I have no idea what the Celtics are going to do, but it's like, they have a chance to uh, be better and kind of perform well and close down the stretch. But it's still tough in the Eastern Conference. Like, I just looking at the standings, they're in eighth place right now. They're f- four games out of the 76ers who are in sixth place. I just checked the standings today. When the hell did the Miami Heat become the best team in the Eastern Conference? They've just quietly been winning games without 
like any of their key players healthy. <laughs> it's crazy what sports. I hate done. heat culture. I hate it so much because it's so effective. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've got Max Struess shooting forty per plus percent from three. Like Duncan Robinson has been bad. Jimmy or hasn't made shots at the level he's used to. Jimmy Butler has missed a lot of time. Bam Adebayo has missed a lot of time. And still, the Heat are number one in the Eastern Conference. It it makes very little sense. Um, but Spolster is a wizard. <laughs> and they're a lot deeper than I think people thought. And that's a scary team come playoff time. But they just invent new guys. Like... Where did Omar Yurtseven come Max from? Max Struess was not. No, no, invented. I know, Ma- Max I know who Max Struess is. On the Celtics roster. I'm talking about Omar Yurtseven. Where'd that guy come from? Yeah, he might be invented. He he was invented in the Heat Culture Laboratory. He just was like, we needed some guy with a per- like very small body fat, and he's going to be athletic and almost seven feet tall and just be uh, effective. It just doesn't really make sense. I can't be, I'm going to be honest, hand up. I haven't watched a lot of. Um, Heat games this year. They're fun to watch. You should watch them. Uh, maybe I will, Jay. Maybe I will. But it's like I looked at their record. They're eight and two in their last ten. And I'm just like, I saw they've been like steadily in the top of the Eastern Conference for most of the season. But just like that recent rise to first place has also been shocking. The other thing that's if you had to guess, when do you think Omer Yurt Seven became a professional basketball player? Um, well, with a name like Omar Yurtseven and the type of question, the way you asked it, I'm going to guess two years ago, two, uh, 2019. <laughs> Wikipedia says he played for Fenerbahce in 2013, but he's 23 years old now. <laughs> so that makes no sense. Maybe he was just a, well, cause he is 6'11". Maybe he's just was like, you're very tall. You're on uh you're a professional now no he played in the it says he played in the euro league in 2015 <laughs> which is crazy in 2000 in 2015 when he was that was seven, so he was like he would have been 16, 16 years yeah. old he had eight points and seven rebounds against the nets in a preseason game how come no one has told us about your seven until now this is bs that he's just uh, making an impact. Now, I feel like with all the draft experts, Kevin O'Connor, he, it's on him for me not knowing about Yurt 7. It's it's frankly ridiculous uh, where like how the Heat are able to just pick up the guys, especially in contrast with like the Celtics' repeated failures to develop any role players. It's just like, oh, we can get a, we can get a 21-year-old who's been playing basketball for six years um, and just make him into a guy, but... Somehow the Celtics uh, have multiple first-round draft picks. I I swear someone in the Heat organization just went on Wikipedia and made that (laughs) shit up. Make make him sound more legit? (laughs) After they just invented him. Yeah, that that, there's no way he was 16 years old having eight points and seven rebounds against the Nets in a preseason game, and we haven't heard about this. Are we sure this isn't a Danny Alamante situation where he's like really, he's 29 years old or something? Like, this, he just... I mean, he did play at NC State in Georgetown. So. Yeah, because the NCAA has always been scrupulous about following the rules. Um, the other thing that surprised me about the Eastern Conference is, like, the Cavs got out to this wildly great start and then suffered some, like, the Sexton injury, the uh, the Rubio injury, and just, like, they haven't slowed down at all. They're playing Four guys who are above 6'8 and Darius Garland. Um, again, I'm going to turn to you because you are uh, much more of an NBA consumer than I am. How the hell are they still doing this? They Their defense is awesome. Evan Mobley's a joke. Uh, him and Jared Allen are just they, – they engulf you at the back line. And then they just kind of have a belief, it seems oh, like. Oh, cl- they, like, they believe in winning. They just have a bunch of players. They're, they're one of those teams that no matter how things are going, whether they're up a lot, whether they're down a lot, whether they're on the road, whether they lose two of their best guards to season-ending injuries, like it just doesn't matter. They're just 
they just play the same way and keep plugging away and keep doing the same thing. So, and and Kevin Love is yeah low key good. Well, I saw that the other day. He gave yeah. like the Knicks like twenty and ten and like was the key guy for victory. I was like, since when has Kevin Love been able to do anything on a basketball court? Nothing makes sense Kevin anymore. Love is low key good again. And J J B Bickerstaff has to be one of. The coach of the year finalist. Don't uh, don't I because just say he's, he's coach of the year. Lowry Markinen, which makes no sense. Like you should not be starting Lowry Markinen, Markinen at at small forward, and it works. It's just impossible. But but they do it, and somehow it makes sense. They're fun to watch too, just because like they really have very little scoring talent whatsoever, but they just do the right things. And Darius Garland is is awesome. He's fun to watch. You gotta watch you I can't believe you haven't watched a lot of the Cavs or Heat this year. They're it's two a, of the best teams to watch. <laughs> it's almost like I've started this new venture in my life that takes up a lot of my time and ability to watch other basketball yeah, this games. Little thing called law school. Yeah, maybe. Um so that's why I rely on you, Jay. Uh, because you have to tell me what the hell's going on out there and you keep me informed. I am just a mere fan. You are a professional journalist. That's the I love that we really just had a segment where you just asked me to tell you what's going <laughs> on with two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. I think it's a pretty good segment. I think I think we should keep doing it. I'm going to keep going. What the hell's going yeah, on with I James Harden I, and uh, the Nets? I saw a report that the Sixers were like, we're holding out Ben Simmons because we want to trade for James Harden. I was like, huh. James Harden's not going to leave the Nets. He just like demanded a trade there. And then I saw a story the next day. It was like, James Harden hates living in Brooklyn and didn't know that New York has taxes. Like, what? <laughs> I don't know about the tax thing. But I, I do think there's got to be some mental toll when you think you're going to Brooklyn and playing on a superpower. And all of a sudden, Kyrie's like, eh, I'm not really going to play basketball this year, guys. <laughs> you know? And and so Harden went there and he thought they were going to be just spectacular and crushing everybody. And then all of a sudden he and KD were forced to play like 40 minutes each to drag a team to wins that doesn't really have much of a supporting cast, doesn't really have much in the way of defense. And Kyrie was just sitting at home for a while. So I would probably be frustrated too. I don't know if I would want to get traded to Philly which also has taxes, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I, I I do think that it would probably be a pretty frustrating situation in Brooklyn. Um, but it's not like they're bad. Th- they're- thanks in in some part to Kyrie. They get still get him for road games. I mean, it's obviously going to be harder with Kevin Durant injured right now. But the the net, it's not like they're like wildly underperforming expectations. I guess they haven't done as well since KD's gone down, and that's why they're in fourth place right now. But I don't know. It just feels like what what is is James Harden just never going to be happy? Like he he forced his way to Brooklyn to like kind of be in this situation. Is he going to like be happy, I guess, sharing the limelight with Embiid? I don't know. Also, well, th- well, think about it before. Before that, he and Chris Paul were not on good terms. And before that, him and, and um, Dwight Howard weren't on good terms. Yeah. So it, when you ask, will he ever be happy? Like, there, there's a possibility. No. <laughs> it could just be his thing. That's, that's, I guess, the whole precedent about what James Harden is. All right. I'm going to round it. You know who is happy? Who? Jason Tatum when he plays with Robert Ooh, Williams. Ooh. Nice segue out of the Jam Ask Jay about the Eastern Conference. Yeah. What is up with that? I feel like. They've been playing with each other for three or four years now, but all of a sudden, like the last month, it's just been like Jason Tatum, Rob Williams, love each other, big fans of each other. Bromance. Like what has caused the bromance to blossom? Well, one of my brothers reached out to me and was wondering if Jason Tatum was trying to make sure that the Celtics like kept Robert Williams or make sure that they played him all the time during crunch time. And I just think it was Jason Tatum genuinely just wanting to say that he loves playing with Robert Williams. Like This is not the first time he's done that. He did it last year. Um, there was one point in the season, I think he said Robert Williams was his favorite player to play with. And so th- this is not a new thing. This is 
Jason Tatum is a huge fan of playing alongside Robert Williams. And I think it's easy to see why. Like Robert Williams sets screen, he he hustles. Vertical spacing? Vertical spacing? He he makes things easier on Jason Tatum because he's a threat at the rim. Um, He's totally unselfish. Like he does not care about ever touching the ball. He literally never, ever touches a ball in the post. Like how many big men are totally cool with never, ever, ever getting the ball in post-ups? But he doesn't care. When he doesn't get shots, he's still going to play defense. He's still going to rebound. Um, I think Ro- uh, Robert Williams doesn't like getting the ball because he's the quickest. Like he's always looking to pass. I think he's sometimes not selfish enough and like get, looking to get his own points because I think he's he's always pass first. Um, and like anytime he gets the ball, he's looking to make the right play. And it makes sense why Tatum likes playing with him in his fifty point game. Um, Got to give credit to uh, Tom Westerholm for doing this, but he, he did a, a recap of Tatum's 31 first half points where Tatum had 11 field goals. And of those 11, 10, Time Lord either was the passer set him up or was the guy setting the screen to like let, get Tatum to space to operate. And so it makes sense that Jason Tatum just like enjoys playing with Robert Williams just because he's like makes his life so much easier and Jason Tatum this year and last year has been kind of plagued by surrounding players who just don't make his job easier. And so uh, I'm sure that any guy who's just like makes the the scoring for Jason Tatum that much easier, Tatum is a, a big fan of. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Robert Williams does that. He, he might be. Is he the most selfless player on the Celtics? Uh, absolutely. He's like, uh, he's never looking to get his. He's like, he's just going up for lobs, like taking shit for one EV. Like the Celtics throw him bad lobs, like player. Like I think he said this the other day. He's like, they're just like, oh, you should have had that one. And he just like laughs it off. But he's always looking to pass, just cleaning up other guys' buckets on the offensive glass, and is just playing hard uh, the entire time. I can't think of a guy who's like more looking to get his teammates involved or doing other things for his teammates than Robert Williams. Has anyone changed their like image more than Robert Williams from like the first week he was with the Celtics <laughs> till now? I, th- I like has his like image that really first summer league. I that first summer league, I cannot describe like how bad shape he was. In. <laughs> like he, he couldn't even run out to set screen. Like it was it was pretty pretty bleak that first summer league. And and since then he's just like gotten in great shape. He plays a ton of more minutes now, um, and he's become a much more complete defender, much more focused defender. And the Celt like they use him a lot of the time off the big man, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah, he does a lot of like weak good. side help of like if once the guy gets beat, he's the guy coming over. I feel like he does a great job of timing his jumps there. And it's like you would. Um, but he's also like I was just thinking like against Julius Randle, whereas like he can be up against like the kind of bigger wings and he's not necessarily like the low post defender. He's kind of off ball or kind of um, and just in different. They put him in different positions. So I think it's the luxury of also having both him and Al Horford out there. Yeah, like they'll put him. They had him on Contavious Caldwell Pope when they played the Wizards. Like they'll they'll just throw him out there on on wings, and he he's good enough to help. But also because he's such a freak, and because he has such good instincts and reflexes, like he can help and then still recover and block your three pointer. Like he, it's it's been fun to watch how they use him because it's different from how he was used in the past. Like in the past, he was basically like most of the time, at least a a drop pick and roll defender and always a center. And now it's like, Oh, cool. Robert Williams can guard threes. You know, it's like, it's pretty impressive. And, and for him to come from a guy who was like just totally lost in pick and roll coverage to now being a super versatile big man who can guard bigs or, he guarded Tobias Harris when they played the Sixers. It's like, 
okay, that's that's different. That dude is different. And I think he deserves like he has missed some games this season. I think uh, eleven so far, but has it been a lot sturdier than he has been in the past? And I think that was the biggest criticism of him. And some of those were with COVID. Yeah. But he went from playing basically 19 minutes a game to playing basically 30 this year. And I think it's been a pretty, I don't know the exact numbers, but I would assume the on-off stats would support that he's been quite good and impactful for the Celtics. And it feels like they definitely, in any game they don't have Robert Williams, it's his absence is definitely noticed. One, because you have to play in his canter more, which that's never fun. But um, like he has a an offensive rating this year of like, or the Celtics do when he's on the court of 143 points per 100 possessions. That's wild. Like he just completely makes their offense that much better. And I don't know anyone else on the roster who's just like, I mean, obviously Jason Tatum, and, um, but like just in terms of the impact that he has, it's just there's such a better team when he's out there. And it feels like he's of like really part of the young core now. And I know we, I, I think we've described the team as having a core four of him, Jason Jalen, and Marcus Smart. But if you were to talk to me about like untouchables in terms of a trade, I feel like it'd be Jalen, Jason, and Robert Williams. Like I feel like he's such a cornerstone and such a valuable piece just because having a, like a, a two way center in this league, I think is like one of the most valuable positions you can have. And I think he's kind of played his way into being a guy who's like, you would have to give up a, like get a lot in return if you were to give up Robert Williams at this point. And I definitely think he's like, if you're talking about trade value in the classic old, like Bill, Bill Simmons trade value column, I think he's like the third most trade value on the Celtics, which is not something I would have necessarily said to begin the season. Yeah. And, and assuming he can stay healthy, if he's playing 30 minutes a night and producing the way he has and, and like that contract extension is going to look really oh, yeah. good. Like that is going to be really good value. Um, now, obviously he has to prove he can continue doing this and continue being durable and all that. But I think this year he's, he's shown good strides on that front. Um, just playing 30 minutes a night and staying out of foul trouble and like I said, like he's a guy who for a while he would make blocks and highlight plays and stuff like that and steals too. But defense, like he was very leaky defensively. And that has changed. Robert Williams just locked in. It, it's been it's been fun to watch him evolve. Is this a wildly yeah. biased thing to say, or just a little bit biased? Is he? I'm gonna go probably the last. Uh, is he a sneaky, most improved candidate, or is that just he just like doesn't have the stats to do that? But like, it does feel like he made has made kind of a leap this year. Oh well, I, I do think he's made. But the biggest improvement he's made is probably just like he's on the court more. So the best, if know? the best availability or the best ability is availability, and he's made big improvements in that ability, logically. Via the transitive property, he would see one of the most improved players in the NBA. Oh, we, you just brought up the transitive property. I'm not just a law student, man. I can do mathematics as well. Um, yeah, transitive property. Classic case. Post hoc ergo propter hoc, my friend. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Just a little uh, Latin in there. Logical fallacies. All right. It's, it seems like we've gotten a bit loopy. I think it's a perfect time if anyone else here in the in the live room wants to chime in, wants to hop on stage with us, we can answer questions about pretty much anything. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
You know what? We haven't had enough dumb trade proposals. I saw people today, mostly um, our friend Stool Greedy, talking about a Norm Powell trade. That seems wildly unrealistic, but I, I feel like we're two weeks out of the trade deadline and I haven't heard any wild suggestions. So if you got any crazy trade ideas or just questions or things you want us to talk about, please hop on. Oh, Gavin. You can hear me, yeah? Yes, we can. Um, so my question is, what is your view on the two Jays, Jalen and Jason, and their future together? Will they be able to coexist? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think they can coexist. I think they've proven it in the past with the right supporting cast. I think them becoming, transforming from probably like, what were they, second and third on the team two years ago or second and fourth or whatever it was, first and fourth, whatever it was. Like, now they're one and two. And I think that's different. And I think that there has been a process for them to learn the responsibilities of being the number one and the number two. Um, I think that as bumpy as this year has been, it will help them long term. I think that the Celtics have probably learned more about what those guys need around them in a supporting cast. And I think shooting is one of those things that they've learned. Um, probably more passing too. But yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the, the most valuable thing probably in the NBA right now is versatility. And those guys have a lot of it. And so, yeah, I think, I think you can build around them, but at the same time, like until at least one of them becomes a top 10 player, it's also very difficult to win big without a top 10 guy. Um, so maybe Tatum will become that. Maybe Brown will, I think Tatum has a better chance, but maybe Brown will, um, and if one of them can do that and the other one can continue growing, then yeah, the Celtics will have a chance to be really, really good sometime in the not so distant future. I love that you just gave a, a four minute answer to will the, can the Jays uh, be good together? I also like that Gavin uh, only wanted your response on it. Um, so I will not, I will not provide my response of whether or not I think the Jays will go together. Instead, we'll give Kyle C another chance. Kyle C, come on down. You're the next contestant on anything is potable. Hey, fellas, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Good. I kid you not, the button when you get called up to the stage moves. The unmute <laughs> button. So it, like, shrinks, and it goes from being two buttons to three buttons, and it moves. So as I hit Are the unmute sure button... Are you sure you're not just, like, on drugs? I am 100% positive I'm on drugs. I'm off drugs, excuse me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so my question is, is I love the combination of Smart, Rob, and the Jays being like our core four. I feel like that is like an elite defensive unit. I feel like it hasn't really reached its potential yet, but I'm wondering who or what kind of player do you think is like the perfect fit to join those guys, and uh, why is it Joe Ingles as the perfect trade target? Ooh, a little Joe Ingles speculation. See, one of my brothers is obsessed with getting Joe Ingles on the Celtics. Maybe more than one of my brothers. Keith Smith mentioned him has like a... Oh no, I messed up and I pressed the button. That's my bad, Kyle. Um... You just got rid of Kyle. I, it was an accident. I like I didn't realize he kept talking, and then uh, because he may or may not be on drugs. If he was on drugs, I would have kept it on. I, more likely, I uh, pressed, him, kicked him off because he suggested Joe Ingles, and I think that's an awful idea. That guy has my thing with Joe Ingles. I I think Joe Ingles, like if he were younger, he'd be a perfect. Fit. He is old. He has lost uh, a step. He has. He's still really good, but. I because of the age, I don't think he's the right fit for the Celtics. Um, if you're going to build around those guys, like the thing that could really differentiate you is the defense. And so, I don't know, someone like OG Ananobi, like that wouldn't be way too outlandish to acquire at some point, probably not soon. But something like that where he would help the offense, you'd have an awesome, awesome defense, and 
you hope that Tatum and Brown evolve to the place where you'd have enough playmaking too. Something like that. Yeah, I think it's an athlete. What would be your pick, Packard? OG's a good guy. I'm a little bit concerned about their size there. Um, It has to be like... My immediate thought was Marcus Morris, but I just don't know if he necessarily fits in exactly what they do. But I do like his combination of size and three-point shooting. And just for the media? Like, yeah, just for that alone, I think it would be uh, the entertainment factor, the kind of tough uh, toughness factor... The thing that's interesting to me is that Grant Williams has like kind of been very solid in that role. And Grant Williams has certainly played uh, himself just with his three-point shooting, has raised his ceiling a lot. I can't remember the last time I was able to like check out how many minutes that five-man lineup has actually been able to play. But it's way less than I thought. And I don't know, like obviously I think there's better players out there than Grant Williams, but if he's going to continue to shoot 40% from three and move his feet on defense and be kind of a physical person, I think there's potential for him to just like, you might not need to go out and get a guy. I think he has potential to grow into that role, but obviously I don't think he's like the ideal person uh, just because his offense isn't consistent enough. And he's at a point where teams are just not like not guarding him. So even though he's shooting 40% from three, it's just like, doesn't have the same effect, but I feel like he has a chance uh, to be pretty good. So you're saying that Brad Stevens should never make another acquisition? He should <laughs> just roll it forward? Uh, no, he can trade all the other guys. Josh Richardson can get traded. Bring Sam Hauser up from the G well, League. Sam Hauser's lighting up the G League. And that's it. He is. He is. But no, that those. so with Grant and the core four, they've only played five games and 29 minutes, but they have a net rating of 25.6. Like that, that is very good. I feel like that that backs up my point that Grant Williams could be the guy there and uh, like has a potential to kind of like compliment everyone that nicely there. Also, Grant Williams doesn't need the ball. He fulfills the role of just guy who uh, can play defense, can switch onto a lot of things and hang out in the corner and make threes. I feel like he's a decent playmaker. I don't know. I, I like Grant Williams. I think he's doing well this year. I think he's like done a lot to improve his game, and I think he deserves uh, some credit for that. Maybe it wasn't the answer Kyle was looking for, but I don't know if you trust that guy because he said he was on drugs. A thousand percent he said he was on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He Confirmed. Did. All right, we're going to go to Tom S. My man was just, my man was just seeing buttons <laughs> floating in the app. Tom. Oh, yeah, we're all right. We're good. How are you doing, Tommy? I'm um, good, thank you, mate. Well, that uh, Trailblazer uh, game, since I last spoke to you, that was mouthwatering, that one. <laughs> uh, uh, now, um, my question for you guys is, obviously, uh, the, we're starting to see a lot of mock drafts now, and I know we don't really know where we'll be, but obviously, Jay King's the man. Uh, obviously, thinking about a where we'll be in the draft, uh, who do you like uh, available? I know uh, ESPN said that we'll probably be looking at like uh, Jaden Hardy and people like that. Uh, well, Chet uh, Hungerman would be amazing, but we're not going to get number one pick, I don't think. But uh, I'm interested in what you guys think. Wow, this is—I wasn't anticipating a, a draft. But I love it at this point of the season. I also love it. Um, who? So the Celtics—they'll be like middle of the first round, probably. Um, who would be good for them? Is Patrick Baldwin going to slip? He can shoot. He can really shoot. I love that there's there's a guy named Nikola. I was about to say, I'm looking at Tankathon right now, and I was like, that's my top pick, Nikola Jovic. I I like Harrison Ingram a lot. He's got a lot of game. I think he'll maybe even be a better NBA player than he is a college player because he has so much versatility, and he's a strong, like, athletic big wing so he's he's definitely way up there for me if if the Celtics are in the middle of the first round. Um I I I watch a lot of college basketball, but I haven't like thought about where guys will fall yet. Um if that makes sense. So I'm not exactly sure who will be around the Celtics um place in the draft, but but the, yeah, th- those are some names that I'd be interested in if I were. There. I mean, I think it's fairly obvious that they're going to go with um, Jabari Walker, combo forward out of Colorado. 
I mean, he's averaging 18 and 12 this year, uh, size, shooting. Um, as someone who watches a lot of college basketball, I just feel like he, he fits in exactly with what kind of like that. You have no clue what Jabari Walker is. <laughs> I have not watched one minute of college basketball this year. I just looked at uh, tall forwards on uh, Tankathon and saw that he was uh, a late round, first round pick. So you're you you're right. I um, going back. I, I like Nikola Jovic, six ten small forward out of Mega Burmix, Mega Bmax. <laughs> <laughs> That's my kind of guy. He's only eighteen point six years old. 18.6 years old. <laughs> That's how they have it on uh, on Tankathon. But, wow. Was not expecting a draft qu- question, but like that we got a draft question. Tom, you might be giving June a run for his money as top celebrity caller. Uh, Tom Tom brings the heat every time and brings the energy. Plus, he, he gets credit for the accent. Every time the accent gets me. It's just a great it's accent. Just, if I had that accent, I would be... 98% more cool. <laughs> that is true because you are not very cool right now. Um, let's go to Michael M. Oh, man. No, no, no. Sorry. Guess who popped on right when I criticized maybe his uh, top spot. We got to go to June right now for his retort. June, I'm sorry. I didn't want to challenge you, but we got to we gotta keep you humble here. You got to keep bringing the heat. I'm like Ime Yudoka. I, I'm a hard, I have expectations. And I expect my top players to perform at top level at all times. <laughs> Thank you for being accountable. <laughs> June, do you also have like three buttons floating in the air when when we call on you? There are three buttons, but the mute sign is pretty clear. It's like bright green. So I don't know what the other dude is talking about, but maybe he's having a great time. I, I, he should hit, he should hook me up with his dealer or something. Man. <laughs> um, but uh, today there was a report from Jake Fisher. I don't know if you guys, if you guys read it that said, um, you know, you know, Marcus Smart's name's out there, but they're going to ask for a lot for him. And the other Celtics tidbits were like, they're trying to trade shooter. They might, you're trying to trade Neesmith. They want to get under the tax. They are, they're shopping all Horford, but like it doesn't seem like there's going to be a lot of takers. Uh, but just generally on trade season, um, I guess Jay. Also, Jay, how come you never report on anything? Do you have sources, man? Like, give us the goods. <laughs> but um, do you have any idea on like what type of player they're like looking for um, in a potential all Horford deal? Because I mean, I, I love Al, but like actually getting his salary involved would like open up a lot of opportunities because you could potentially trade Al Horford and take back like 22, 23 million and still stay under the tax. So if you want any meaningful changes for this season, his salary is like the one you got to move. Before yeah, you I, before I think, you go, Jay, I just gotta say June uh, has kept his top spot. Uh, he came with the heat. June's always in the top. Yeah, he spot. came with the heat. He made fun of Kyle for being on drugs. He made fun of you for not having enough sources. Uh, it was a fantastic call. But uh, go ahead, Jay. Proceed. <laughs> yeah, Brad Stevens told me the Celtics would like shooting. Oh, I just had ooh, to say dropping just dropping had to say the direct source, not anonymous sources. No sources. The president of basketball that operations. Was just for June. No, uh, I would say obviously shooting is going to be a, a need for them. Um, I do think the luxury tax is going to come into play. Uh, I do think they will look to get under the luxury tax. I, I do think that that's one area that they'll focus on at the deadline. Um, the Horford thing, like he's been pretty good for them. He's been part of some awesome defensive lineups he's allowed them to not play Ennis Cantor much. Um, and when, when Horford's out or when Robert Williams is out, then you can see the, the front court depth is not very good. Um, so he's pretty important to them. I do think that if you can move that salary, which is an interesting contract because it basically like splits in half next season, uh, only half of it is guaranteed. Um, I, but they, I, they would have so to cut him like, next year to like get rid of that salary, though, right? Like they wouldn't. 
they can't if he's on the team for the all of next season that that salary becomes guaranteed and it like counts against the cap yeah i i think honestly i i think the the more likely scenario is that the celtics stay pretty quiet at the deadline get under the tax um i, I think i do think there there's a there would be a benefit to seeing how this team plays with a run of good health because the way the starters have played it's intriguing and obviously Horford is probably not in the long-term plans just because of his age and how young some of the key players are but like as you're trying to learn how to build around Jason Tatum and and Jalen Brown and what they need around them then I, I think you know, seeing more of how they look in a lineup like that um, could help you determine what you need. And maybe you do need, you know, a, a bigger guy who can play four and be versatile and help that defense be awesome. Maybe maybe you don't. Maybe you need more shooting and more dynamic offensive play. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't think it will be a super crazy trade deadline though i i really don't think that they're going to do a ton to change the team right now i think the in all likelihood bigger changes will come over the summer i think really the biggest question is like do they trade Schroeder to get like a better look at peyton pritchard because i feel like it's very hard to play both of those guys and if you like want to give pritchard a serious chance to kind of play around Jason Tatum and have uh, kind of the option or, or just like a, a opportunity to kind of develop around the, the players, the starters. I just don't think you can do it with Dennis Schroeder on the roster. And so I don't think there's like a, a world where they get a lot for Dennis Schroeder. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. I also, there's like not that many teams that are really, I think, looking to add him. With all the times I've said blame Dennis this year uh, and things like that, Dennis Schroeder playing 20 minutes a game is like a lot more manageable. And I think he's a lot more useful there. It's just kind of like a purely playing the role of spark plug. And you're right. If they just can have some health and everything kind of shifts down and you play 20 to 25 minutes of Richardson, 15 to 10 minutes of Schroeder, some Grant Williams, you have like a pretty solid eight man rotation that, I think the word intriguing was uh, was apt, Jay. I think you were uh, a wordsmith of sorts. Uh, yeah, and the shooter thing will be really interesting at the deadline too because I do think that um, they're interested in seeing Pritchard on the court more and they want to see what he does with more minutes. And it's just really tough for him to get on the court when they're fully healthy. It's really tough for Neesmith, for Langford to get on the court when they're fully healthy. And I don't know how much worse they'd be if if much at all if Pritchard is playing Schroeder's minutes if Neesmith or Langford is playing most of Josh Richardson's minutes so that's that's another area to watch at the deadline is whether they'll try to get younger and clear up minutes um for guys whose whose paths have been kind of blocked by veterans so far this season maybe they'll get some second round picks that they can use to move up to get Nikola Jovic who knows does June live in Boston? I feel like we got to meet June. Uh, I'm sure he'll tell us on uh, on the next podcast. But yeah, we should absolutely do that. Uh, fu- yeah, I feel, June is June may have to become a co-host. <laughs> honestly, June, June really is better at this than, than we are. June, do you have sources? <laughs> All right. I feel like he probably June. Does. Do you have sources? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We definitely need some more June on the podcast. All right. Next time we're in LA, June, we're, we're hitting you up. We're crashing on your couch. Well, no, Jay, I'll be crashing Quite on your seriously. couch. The athletic pays for Jay to travel. <laughs> <laughs> I do not have that kind of pull. It's just, it's just they, a they have pretty a pretty standard part of his job. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that has nothing, nothing to do with any status, but yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, New York Times has yet to pay for any of my travel. Um, but you know what? We'll get there. Right now, we're going to go to the last caller of the show because we've been talking for almost an hour now. Michael M., who's been waiting a while. Michael, thank you for waiting. What's going on? Did you get tripped up by the mute button? His buttons must be floating, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, there he is. Uh, I want to say uh, I agree. Grant Williams needs more time, like you were saying, Jam. And uh, I want to see what they can get for Ines Freedom, if anything. If, even if we attach him with a Schroeder contract, we can get under the tax. If any team wants a big like him. Also, Jalen and Jason could definitely play together. <laughs> I mean, we don't need to talk about that anymore. I'm glad you said it, Michael, because I didn't want to be rude. But yes, I would uh, genuinely agree. I don't think any team wants Ennis Freedom. Um, maybe Tillman Fertitta will take him because um, that guy seems to reportedly like Freedom. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know where else Ennis has any value in the NBA. Jay? I'll just let that hang. I'll just let that hang. <laughs> All right. Is is deafening silence potable? Yes. Yeah, anything's potable. 